Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Media Research's podcast. This is series three. We're talking about hybrid futures, and we are on episode two, where we are going to discuss the creator economy. So, I am Chris. I'm a consultant at Media, and I do a lot of work in the creator economy space. And that's why I've invited my three wonderful colleagues to give help me and help you get some more insight into what does the future of the creator economy look like in the music industry. So, starting with Ashley Miller, who is our production manager, and um, we've also got Mark Mulligan, who's just, you know, your everyday music analyst. And then we've got Keith Jopling, who is our head of consulting. And so three wonderful guests. We are really excited to dive into this. So before we get deep into the future of the music industry and the creator economy, I think it's good to take a just a little bit of a look into the recent past to be able to see what has catalyzed this music creator economy. And a lot of the things we're looking at is to do with streaming. And we've got a great quote here from none other than Adele, the great Adele, who has said when discussing herself as an artist and other artists like Drake and, you know, the kind of superstar, the pre-streaming and pre-social media superstars. She said, we are a dying breed. We came out before streaming. We came out before all the social media frenzies of you've got five seconds to entertain, otherwise get out. And it really kind of encapsulates this threshold between the Adele's of the world, the big superstars that came out before this new streaming era and the past decade or so where a lot of artists have been making their first moves in a world of streaming and social media. And what we've seen is that streaming just hasn't really been the answer for a lot of creators, particularly independent artists and those in the long tail. And so question we want to ask is why? Why hasn't it worked for a lot of creators in the music industry? So Ash, I want to start with you and be good to get a good perspective, not just from artists, but creators all across. So musicians, songwriters as well. Yeah, of course. So um, I don't think it's particularly working for us as creators. Um, just even looking at how you're making money, it's it's something that it's difficult for a lot of creators, especially those that are starting out or bedroom artists, um, to actually make a reasonable income from it. So you would usually find that they would have to take on other jobs and therefore you they won't be able to spend the necessary amount of time um, either creating or promoting or especially in the social media culture where they, they always have to be on, there always have to be some kind of level of engagement there. Um, so creating content for that alongside. So it's like a big job that if you're not getting paid from streams, for example, then it's going to be difficult for you to dedicate a lot the, the necessary amount of time to that. In terms of people that aren't the the front of the the band or the act, so talking more like the producers or the songwriters, they've already got that they already have that hurdle of not being the face of it. So the artist can maybe do this kind of social media thing. It's it's, it's who the the listeners will hear when they're like listening to it is the singers it's the it's the personality of the brand and that's that's the thing as well it is a brand so there's producers and songwriters will be writing and producing for more than one artist and for more than one brand so it's going to be difficult for them to actually create a space for people to recognize who they are and a space for them to to get a dedicated fan base because they write and write and produce so many different genres um, so they might do like, I don't know, three pop tracks a year and then they might do like 50 rock tracks and then, I don't know, like a hundred hyper pop and it's all these different genres that it'd be difficult for people to really latch on to 
like full term because you don't know where it's going. So I think the artists are, while it's difficult for everybody, I think the artists in the face of it would have maybe an, an easier time than the producers and the songwriters because of that being the face of it, someone someone that they, the, the listeners and the followers can recognize. Awesome. Yeah, those are some great points, Ash. And so it'd be good to hear from you, Mark, to follow up on a lot of that and give us a bit of insight into what it actually takes um, from like a numbers perspective to get a career out of streaming for a lot of artists and then also why streaming isn't necessarily the best places for those artists to be building actual fandom and monetizing fandom. Yeah, so I think what I'll do is I'll, I'll answer by doing two things I always do. One is talk about history and two is piggyback on other people's ideas. <laughs> so first of all, the, the history bit, which is uh, you know, looking at what Adele's saying and you know, I'm trying to bring Drake into that mix as well. There's, a, uh, there's an ancient English king called King Knut and uh, he, his supporters thought that he was a god and he could uh, anything he wanted could happen and to prove to his supporters that wasn't the case. He put his throne on the beach and said, okay, if I'm such a god, I'll be able to stop the tide coming in. And of course, the tide washed up all over him and he said, look, I'm just human like the rest of you. And it's often used as an analogy for, uh, for trying to resist change. It's like, you know, people want things to be a certain way. You can't hold back the tide. And so as disappointing as it might be for Adele to see that the world has changed, um, you know, it, it is how it is. She, she isn't a pre-streaming artist. She came to her peak when streaming was coming to its peak. And it's just that streaming has grown even more and more. She started out in a world that was pre-streaming, but her career has blossomed during the streaming era. Same for Drake. It's like, and this is where I piggyback on an idea. A former analyst of ours, um, Zach Fuller, said that Drake's albums are really just like status updates. You know, they are the sort of albums that could only be made for the streaming era. It's like going, you know, fill up a load of playlists with this, like, you know, 30,000 tracks I'm releasing or, you know, however many he puts out in a single album. And so I think Drake has completely learned how to be a streaming era artist, even though he started before. And, you know, Adele talks about all the, you know, everybody's got to be on, you know, social or whatever else. Well, she's been living into like Facebook live stream chats for the last couple of months of the build up. She's playing the game, too. It's just, you know, the, the worry for those artists who are used to selling albums is you're not selling albums anymore. In Germany, over the last few years, there's been a massive pushback from sort of like classic rock bands who think, well, streaming isn't right because we're earning so much less money than we would from selling albums. It is just how the world is changing. And to your, your point about, you know, where, where do you earn your money? You know, I'm going to steal one of your ideas here, Chris. You know, we think about the, uh, the music industry as being a funnel where you get all of these artists in at the top and you funnel, funnel them down to the ones who are successful. Well, actually, if getting through to streaming is a huge amount of work and effort and you're releasing a track a month and you're doing like six posts a day on Instagram and, and you're ending up with a few thousand streams, you know, that's probably not even enough money to go and buy equipment with, let alone live off. So a lot of artists start to think, well, maybe instead of going down the funnel, maybe some of these things which are up the funnel actually make sense in themselves. So they become slices, you know, going and making production music uh, or going and making beats or you know or just spending your time focusing on tiktok because if, if you're a self-releasing artist and you're a songwriter and you're doing all of your songwriting maybe you can earn something like three to four thousand dollars per million streams depending on the market depending on your distribution all that sort of stuff so that means you really need to be getting in the region of about 10 million streams a year to earn a living and that's if you're just a single artist if you've got producers to pay or there's five of you in the band or whatever else. So I think we, what we saw with the pandemic was artists suddenly realised streaming cannot stand up on its own. And it stands up on its own if you're a big record label. 
If you're a big publisher, a big artist, for mid-tail and long-tail artists, it is not enough on its own. Yeah, and um, I think, Keith, you've got some good um, insight here because you've done a lot of work um, with media on the monetization front. Um, you've also uh, held a quite an interesting position at Spotify um, several years back. And then, of course, you've got your, um, your wonderful podcast, The Art of um, Longevity. So you've spoken to a lot of artists. You've heard a lot about how they're tackling sort of the challenge of like streaming and how they're trying to make their own sort of living. And because I believe, you know, not all of these artists will have, will be capable of making 10 million streams every year. And so what does, what is their outlook? What does their future look like for monetizing beyond streaming? Yeah, I think a lot of artists actually these days, are look, they don't look at streaming as an income. Um, and I think that's controversial because it, it should be an income. It should be a way of making a living. And, you know, when I talk to artists or managers, a lot of them are basically using streaming as a form of promotion slash audience building and, and looking to monetize in other ways. I mean, first and foremost with streaming is you've got to ask yourself, what kind of artist are you? You know, if you're a predominantly album slash live performing artist outside of the big streaming genres, then probably you shouldn't focus that much on streaming. You're better off putting your energies elsewhere. If you're into pop or you could write for the background in some way, you know, and still push, either push to get on a playlist or be lucky enough to get on a playlist, then you can still do okay out of streaming. But I, I think the key thing is that many artists don't rely on it. Um, they, they can't see a future where they can rely on it. And so they are starting to work around other forms of monetization. And that's, uh, as we know, anything from selling vinyl to um, having a Patreon subscription with various offers in there, some form of direct-to-fan um, strategy. But then you need a fan base for that. So, you know, it's, it's difficult. It's difficult. If you look at Spotify's mission to, you know, be a, a sustainable platform for a million creators, we already know that there are 5 million direct artists. Um, so that's 5 million making music. So Spotify is only ever going to satisfy 20% in its dreams. So that's still a lot of people missing out. And of course you know, that mission doesn't just necessarily be musicians, it's comedians or whatever other creators. Um, so we know the funnel is much, much bigger than that. And the, that funnel has to find another way to make a living, I'm afraid. Yeah, I think I'd add one thing as well, which is um, <clears throat> sort of in, in, implicit in what Keith was talking about. And that's the difference between building an audience and building a fan base. So what streaming is really, really good at is building an audience. It's like radio used to build an audience. But you didn't rely upon radio to build a fan base. It was like, you know, media, we'd like to think about things in funnels and radio and streaming is the top of the fan funnel. It's where, you know, you, you put your drag net out and then you try to bring people down. Nobody expected, well, not many people expected to earn their income from radio in the past. Uh, and I think many artists are beginning to realise a similar thing applies to streaming. What artists need, particularly long and mid-tail artists, is they need a place where they can build fans and where they can build sustainable careers from fans. And it doesn't mean that streaming can't do that as well. I mean, if you look at the Chinese streaming services that are owned by Tencent Music Entertainment, if you look at uh, NetEase Cloud Music, about two-thirds of their revenue comes from ancillary revenues built around music. That's tipping and virtual gifts and uh, live streams and a whole host of other ways in which the creators can make money. So it could, streaming could be a place for monetizing fandom and building fandom, but at the moment they're not. It's a place for building audiences. So either streaming changes its game 
or more and more artists are going to have to do can do what Keith is saying, which is going other places to work out how to earn income from the true fans. Yeah, I think one of the biggest sort of sea change of attitudes that I'm sensing from managers and, and artists is back to, I mean, I don't know when the, the 1,000 fans, the Kevin Kelly 1,000 fans thing was first introduced to the world. It feels like, I don't know, 2004 or five or something like that, way, way back. But there seems to be a, a realization and a frustration, I think, that trying to manage audiences try it through reach, whether that be on streaming or whether that be on social platforms, is A, it's difficult, B, it's exhausting, C, it doesn't give you the return on investment in terms of your fan audience. So it's, it's about coming at it the other way around and building up that 1,000 true fans and then building out from there. So it is basically, I think, people try to invert the funnel. Yeah, just like the way that we're kind of talking about other avenues in which to make money. I know that definitely pre-pandemic, um, it was largely because of the the streaming income not being um, able to fund a lifestyle and to to continue to do like creator work full time, unless you are a superstar. It was usually uh, live and merch, which was where you're going to get your money. But during the pandemic with the the success of especially TikTok, but more people going to Instagram Reels and that sort of thing. I'm finding that a, a, a compromise that a lot of creators are doing is that they're taking sponsorships from other places. So that a way to make money is doing sponsorship. However, I would argue that with niche being the new mainstream and you're not trying to get span of listeners, you're trying to have a fan base that is dedicated to to you and to buying your merch and to going to your gigs when you when we're allowed to, you run the risk of losing that relatability or that that engagement if you're set if you're now selling things that don't necessarily have something to do with your brand. I know I've seen a few people that are musicians that are that are doing it on TikTok and then suddenly they're like pairing up with Nike to win 10, 10 trainers or something. And it's just kind of it's going a bit west from what they're what they're actually trying to sell and then that runs the risk of not so much losing their fan base but it's 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 losing the attention because those are the posts that are not getting the same sort of engagement it's not getting the same number of likes the same number of views but it's that's what they need to do to to make money in order to dedicate all of their time to it instead of having to go and i don't know work in a work in a cafe or in an office alongside their creator work yeah, I think there's also a tension with um, with brand sponsorship. It's a reach game. Brands want a big audience to be able to go and reach to. So, it's, it's, so yeah, you get pop-up niche brands, micro brands who want smaller audiences, but they still want an audience of some size. And that's the same problem with streaming, right? It's like if artists are moving to a stage where actually what isn't so important is how many Instagram followers and how many Spotify followers I've got, but instead... How many of those people are going to want to support me on Patreon, subscribe to me on Twitch, whatever the thing might be? Actually, if they're pursuing sponsorships, they get pulled in the wrong direction. They're still being compelled to play the reach game. Or what they actually want to do is play the niche game. I guess the thing with what's going on here, though, is that it's almost like you've got these two parallel kinds of artists. You've got, and you know, we've seen this in some of the artists we've spoken to and interviewed and worked with on projects, where we've got some artists who are going along that social creator route and they are you know they've got hundreds of thousands of followers on um on social media and compare that to another artist that might only have like a couple thousand followers on social media it's the one that has the couple thousand that is actually getting more listeners on streaming 
And they're the ones with a more, I guess, sort of engaged fan base. But when you're thinking of it from a sort of business and career perspective, are they necessarily making more money? Are they sort of having a more sustainable career as an artist when, you know, it's essentially just a different model. We've got artists that are going to make the most most of their income from brand deals, from social media, from sponsored posts. And we've got some that will make most of their income from selling sort of direct to fan and, you know, potentially even streaming as well from that. And so I guess one of the things that when we're looking at the future of the creative economy is, you know, it's the options that are available to you. You can carve out a career just from Patreon. You can carve out a career just from social media. And so which one, which one is the better route to go, essentially? You know, if you're, if you're a label, if you're an artist, um, you know, and you're sort of working with talent, where, what, how would you guide when, when there's sort of so many options to potentially monetize and create a career? How would you, how would you go about it? So yeah, go on, Keith. Yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head, but you know, it's, that choice is a good thing. So we're in a world of you know, abundant choices, some of which are a little bit, I guess, intimidating. And a very, very competitive world was, as we said, we have, you know, 5 million direct artists. They're fed by a funnel of 25 million who are making and uploading music. There's a, a number of ways that you can go to make, to get that recognition. So, you know, I'm finding more and more that artists, whether they're self-managed or managed, are thinking about what kind of artist am I? What do I want to achieve? What are my goals uh, over one year, five years? And how am I going to get there? Essentially strategizing in a way that was never previously possible in the industry because the only route that you could go back in the day was route one, get signed, get a label behind you and, and promote yourself to fame. So if we compare that now with what we know artist definition of success to be it varies a lot right i mean we know from the artist survey that we do every year that first definition of success is to be recognized in my scene so to to have some sort of feedback of credibility on what you're doing with your peers beyond that it's about a sustainable living with hopefully longevity so you can give up the day job and focus and most artists would be delighted if they can't be adele you know, I'm sure they'd love, every artist would love to be a dark part of a dying breed, actually, and be Adele, but you can't. So the alternative is to be able to give up your day job and focus on your art and make a living from it. Way down the list on the definition of success these days is fame and fortune. And that, I think, is, is really, really interesting. But the main thing is choice and strategy and working your way through it. Yeah, I'll add to that. There's two almost competing dynamics which have emerged over the last half a decade. On the one hand, to build on what Keith is saying, you've had this real sense of the empowered artist. You know, these are artists who are much savvier about what they want and can have out of their, their, their deals. They're going for distribution only. They're going for joint ventures. They're going for owning master rights, et cetera. So they're getting better deals. On the other hand, there's more of them than ever before. The Economist World Page said that essentially what we've got is too many mouths to feed. You know, and we've seen the number of releasing artists and the amount of music that they're releasing growing faster than streaming is growing. And that means with a finite royalty pot because of the way that premium royalties work on, on, on streaming services, you're just slicing the cake into ever smaller slices. So I think that's a really interesting tension. Artists have a better sense about what they want to achieve and the degree of control that they want to have, yet the key way in which you make money is becoming less and less accessible to them. Yeah, definitely. Um, 
I think um, it'd be good to sort of wrap this up um, with a good conversation about TikTok because we can see TikTok having such a massive impact and influence on not just the music industry, but culture in general. Um, well, I'd say culture in the West, but of course, and even in China, you've got um, Duyan, which is the, um, the Chinese sort of equivalent. And of course, TikTok is owned by a Chinese company. So yeah, essentially all across the world, TikTok is having this massive influence on culture. And I don't know if you've seen the, uh, the, Google, the Google Trends top searches um, across the world. I think in the US, the most popular search for recipes was TikTok pasta. So I think that kind of gives you an idea of the scale of, um, of reach TikTok is having. And why I think it's really interesting is because of the way it works as a creator platform, the tools that you have at your disposal there. And the artists we're seeing really coming through and using it effectively and efficiently. And, you know, Pink Panther S is one of the, one of the key sort of case studies here. When we look at an artist who has, you know, just been uploading songs and ideas and this is before sort of releasing anything on streaming. And as we've seen from our own data, you know, the amount of artists that are actually releasing onto streaming is just a slice of the amount of creators making music and sharing music online. And so we've got this new dynamic of creators being able to bring music to the fold onto platforms like TikTok, be able to build up an audience without actually releasing or releasing music, being able to sort of test their ideas before investing in production and essentially collaborating and you know, making music that is now getting hundreds of millions of streams and is a minute and 20 seconds long, essentially. So what does the future of actually sort of artist development um, and songs and creation in general look like in a TikTok-driven world? Does anyone want to come in here? Yeah, go on, Ash. I knew, I knew it'd be you. <laughs> I know. I'm like, I don't, how much time have we got? <laughs> Just when you were saying the TikTok pasta thing, um, I think it's incredible. My mom's turning my mom's turning 50 and um she is one of those people. Like she is one of those people that's like on TikTok for the recipes and stuff. So I think it's pretty cool how I just like if you keep looking back at I remember at the beginning of the pandemic and I'm I'm in my late 20s and I remember all of these university students that I was friends with they were talking about TikTok and I refused to be associated with it. And now it's gotten to the point where my my mum's on it. It's like grown so fast and so quickly. But the the thing with um, TikTok is it's, I think it is completely changing the industry and it's just in so many different ways. For example, the way that you were saying before how songs are like a minute to two minutes long now. I was sitting with my friends before trying to show them different TikTok artists through Spotify and it, it, was, it was a comment that was passed that was like, oh, that was... <laughs> it's finished now, it's on to the next song. And um, it just seems to be that's the that's the trend. And it probably has a lot to do with the fact that people are writing on TikTok with their audience. And there's a lot of influence with what they're writing as they're writing it, which I think is great because then you know exactly what the audience wants. And if there's a track that you're making that is just not hitting the engagement levels that, that you want, then you can just stop and you can you can start again. And there's this, there's like a audience participation sort of thing with it. I would say, however, there is a stigma with artists that started on social media, just in the same way there was a stigma of celebrities coming out of YouTube. Are they real celebrities? Um, are, are they real artists and things? And I think that with a lot of the research that I'm doing personally, I think there is a correlation between how you're selling your brand on TikTok and how many streams you're getting. So 
I think it's important important for creators that are going into it to bear in mind that they're an artist first and they're using the platform to promote that rather than going into the platform and then being like an influencer and then music second because you can see that there's a real difference in terms of streaming if you look at Pink Panthers and other um, artists the Avenue Beat and things like that they've really promoted their music first and that's what's got their attention whereas I think other people um, a lot there's a lot of creators that are going on and they're trying to get a fan base and then they're seen as an artist second which is reflecting in their streams so I've I've started to notice that as being a thing and then maybe not being taken as seriously in the music industry because of that but I also think sorry I will sum this up I also I believe that TikTok has been great in terms of artists having control like we were saying before there's a lot of people that have already got the fan base and so before when the labels would come and then they would say that we want to take this much of a cut and we'll give you this amount of money because we have this so much to offer you in terms of getting that promotion you've already got that you can you've already got that now you've already got the fan base you've already got the 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 formula that works for you you've already got that they're just building on it now see there's so much leeway there for contracts I know that a lot of my creator friends are doing that there's this extra like wave of power that these um creators have where they're they're saying yeah okay I'll take an advance but I want to go on indie deal until I do until I can do more and then I've got more power when it comes to majors and um I think that's definitely that's definitely a good change in the industry I think there's also another way to think about TikTok, which is it's going through change. And whenever anything goes through change, yesterday coexists alongside tomorrow. And so the way that the music industry thought about TikTok was pretty much how they used to think about YouTube. It's a way you start getting people to discover music for the first time. You know, we've, we've not spoken about YouTube yet in this, in, in this episode. And yet it was, has been for about a decade, one of the most important tools for artists. It's still one of the most important tools for artists and labels, but it is no longer seen as part of the, you know, the dynamic new future, which is emerging. And so, and I think the, the where TikTok has been until now, is basically what YouTube used to do, which is it's the place you start the marketing. It's a place where you start getting the virality happening, where you start using different tools, of course, but nonetheless, where everything gets kickstarted. I think what you're talking about, Ash, is the start of tomorrow beginning to emerge, which is people realising it doesn't have to be the place where you start stuff. It can be the place where you start and finish stuff as well. It's actually you know a destination in its own right. And when you start thinking that way, you know, how many big songs on TikTok when you listen to them on a YouTube, you know, video or you listen to them on a Spotify playlist, don't really make sense because you're listening beyond the 15 seconds that you, you know, you've listened to a hundred times before. And it's like the idea of how long a song needs to be. Well, you know, songs are three and a bit minutes long because A, that's what fitted on a seven inch piece of vinyl and B, it's what radio wanted. You know, we no longer need to have those constraints. It's like Adele's complaining about how the world has changed she's an album artist and people aren't listening to albums anymore you know and I think we get to that stage where the idea of listening to a whole three and a half minutes of a song doesn't matter as much anymore for people who've grown up listening to music predominantly or consuming music predominantly on TikTok and I think there is a big difference between listening and consuming on TikTok but to wrap it all up I think fundamentally what TikTok is now is going to be quite different to what TikTok is in four or five years time I think it is becoming much more of a creator platform, whereas the big record labels and small record labels too still just simply see it as a new version of YouTube. Yeah, I'll, I'll be interested to see how it does develop because for the most part, platforms do struggle to become something else from the, the core of which they began and blew up with. And I think it's, you know, the, the most fascinating thing for me about TikTok is that things blow up on there 
uh, seemingly randomly. So it's got the industry into into a spin. It's got every marketing executive in a in a label into a spin. It's like how do we have a hit on TikTok? They don't actually know because it it doesn't work that way. It's more chaotic in in the way it works. But I think that's been good because it creates a space for innovation for artists. So to your point, Chris and, and Ash, it puts the artist. Uh, gives the artist that little bit more control and chance to experiment and express themselves in a different way, no matter where you are on the scale. So you can be anything from, you know, just starting out in life or about to blow up as Pink Panther S did because she did something different or, you know, being rediscovered in the way that, you know, a rush of legacy artists from Fleetwood Mac to Elton John to Queen have all rushed onto TikTok. So you can be anywhere along the scale, but you need to be, uh, you need to realize that you, you know, you, you want to, commit and dive in and it's not for every artist so i think it's back to where we were before is you know understand what each platform brings understand where the gatekeepers come in and what they can do for you and sort of pick your way through it i mean for my part still the same thing that exists today with pink panther s goes all the way back to what artists have always done i'm thinking about an artist like arctic monkeys is that they create they create something special from from the beginning themselves, whatever that is. They are attracting an audience. They're creating a conversation by doing something. In the Arctic Monkeys case, it was just playing live. And you know, you can you can still do that. You can think about what what are we going to create that is word of mouth, a talking point, and then pick the platform in which you want to create that space. And that I think is fantastic because it puts artists in control. I just, I th- it's really important to also note that with platforms like TikTok, it's very genre specific. So there's going to be genres that don't, it doesn't fit. So pop, for example, pop and R&B is quite big and hyper pop, a bit of hip hop trap is kind of the area in which TikTok would help. I know that different platforms have, have different genres, but that's important to note. And with TikTok as well, even if you just look at the beginning of the beginning and what was happening and there was blowing up all of these these new artists, it was used more as a scouting tool, um, a discovery tool for new music, new artists. Um, you got a lot of people being discovered by labels, whereas now it's used more, uh, labels are now discovering how useful a tool it is and it is being used more as a marketing platform for for labels and, and and artists that are already are already there. Um, I'm not saying for a second that you can't people aren't being discovered. They're just not being discovered at the same level as they were. They're not blowing up into the billboard charts like they were before. Media has a lot of blogs um that talk about this and we'll be talking about that in the next podcast episode too. But with TikTok in terms of music promotion, it is not producing the same high superstar quality, Lil Nas X, um, Doja Cat's style of music. Um, there are niches in fandom and that, that's why people, sh- the creators should use it to find their people. Um, but the at reaching billboard heights those days and the scouting days are not really that frequent anymore on these yeah. platforms i think the la- last thing i'd add to to to, to riff off that a little bit is the idea that we're beginning to see almost by default genre specializations in off streaming destinations right so if we, we're moving into this post streaming world we spoke about all the genres that work on tiktok and the ones that don't work so well and then you look at someone like bandcamp 
which is much more focused on to like guitar and Indian alternative. Uh, you look at Twitch, which is more focused around dance music and DJ performances. So I think we are beginning to see by default a genre specialization happening. You know, Audio Mac, who, you know, announced their support buttons feature just recently, very much focused on, you know, sort of around hip hop in particular, uh, you know, and, and trying to be more of a sort of a place for fans and artists rather than just being a streaming service. We've had streaming for the last 10 years being genre agnostic. Because it's been genre agnostic, you know, going right back to what you started, said at the start, Ash, about the idea of producers making lots of different genres, you've ended up with this melding of genres where people are always trying to do crossovers and they'll bring in a collab from a different genre, et cetera, because they just want to play the, the, the algorithms in streaming. But actually, the longer and long and mid-term artists are realising the best way to build a fan base is stick true to the genre which I'm in or the scene which I'm in. They're not always the same, but they're often the same. And then working out which is the right platform for me to do that. So I think it's, you know, you could definitely say it's a challenge that some genres don't work on TikTok, given how important it is. But there are plenty of alternatives for different genres. And maybe that is the future of the post-streaming world, is that fan destinations are defined by genre and scene, not simply by how many users there are on them. Yeah, I think that's a great way to, you know, wrap it up and encapsulate it. And I think final thing I would like to add is when you think of in the in the sort of early to mid 60s when, you know, you had sort of like acts like the Beatles that were primarily live acts and then you send them into the studio and the studio is essentially just a recording of their live performance. And it was only towards the end of that decade where we started to really see the recorded music format artistically explode and thrive because of the way musicians and artists were using the studio as a creative tool and doing things that you couldn't do anywhere else with the types of mics and the types of placements and the types of mixing effects that just had never existed and never happened before. And I guess one of the ways you could look at a lot of these new platforms is as a studio, but in the social space. So a social studio, if you will. And it's not the platform it's not about are you on the platform are you using the platform it's how are you using the platform what are you using the tools that are at your disposal to be artistic to express yourself in a way that you can't really do anywhere else and i think that's the key to what's this future in the music creator economy is a great artist will find a way to use a tool in an innovative and unexpected way regardless of what that tool is and where it is and so uh, that's my final take on the music creator economy. I think we, we're only just hitting the tip of the iceberg here, really. And fortunately, we've got another episode coming up, which is featuring our lovely Ash, who is going to be diving a bit deeper into the sort of business and tools of the music creator economy. That's episode three with our special guest um, from Zebra as well. So keep an eye out for that. And I'd like to say thank you very much to these lovely guests, Ash, Mark and Keith. You've been wonderful. Had a great time, great way to kick off your week. And yeah, looking forward to hearing the rest of the podcast. So thank you very much, everyone. Uh, take care, enjoy the rest of your day and enjoy the rest of our podcast. Thank Thanks you. all. Thank See you. See you later. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. Be sure to keep up with all the latest episodes by subscribing to Media Research on your favorite podcast platform. 